welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, otherwise known as Kimchi on stage. Um, I don't know when I'll be on stage next, but you'll just have to like stay tuned and kind of follow my socials to know when I'll be at the club next. Um, I am a stripper. I am also a former sugar baby. I'm also a digital content creator. I was a cam girl for like a brief like two week stint and then I realized I hated it. So I was like, nope. <laughs> and I've done, uh, yeah, I guess like a lot of things like a lot of us sex workers do. We kind of flip flop and dabble into other forms of work and this podcast is all about, yeah, I guess telling it like it is, the work that we do behind the scenes, just providing a really transparent approach to what sex work is because sex work is work and my job here is uh, to destigmatize the industry in my own little way. So that's a little bit about the show um, If in case you're, you're new here. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to some Patreon subscribers. Um, if you want to skip through this, that's totally fine. It'll take like two seconds because there's only like seven of you guys. But um, shout out to Justin Erickson. We got Paris Frank. We also have Jay Sunstern and Arup Sarkar. Um, just on my top tier of Patreon subscribers, they get this really cool exclusive video access where they get to see our lovely guest today, whom I'm about, I'm about to announce in just a couple seconds here. Um, but there are two other tiers that you can go ahead and subscribe to with rates just as low as $4, so the price of a coffee or a price of some pasties or whatever you want to do with your $4. Um, but yeah, you're, all that money goes, I mean, all that money goes towards the show and helps support and you know, helps me, I don't know, stay motivated, I guess. I mean, not like I'm really motivated by money, but I also am because I'm a sex worker. I love money. But that's not the point. Um, but if you want to go ahead and check that out, you can. It's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. So I am really stoked to talk to our guest today, who is also really, really busy. And I am so glad that we had some time to get her to sit and chat with me for this wonderful um, next little hour. And she goes by the name Allison Ray. Uh, kind of might be <laughs> a familiar name to a lot of you out there if you are interested in watching porn. Um, she is a porn star. She is also a director, production assistant, um, model, dancer, all the things, all the things an adult. Um, Allison Ray, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like listing off all the many incredible things that you do because you're an amazingly talented individual. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Podcasts are always something that I'm like always excited to do. And then I'm like, oh gosh, but I have to interact with a human. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you think they're fun because sometimes, and a lot of the time people come on, they're like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And then by the end of the show, they're like, oh my God, that was so much fun. Like, why is it over? So... <laughs> Yeah, it's super fun to just actually get to connect with a human because I feel like written interviews just don't have the same energy. You know, you're not connecting with a human. You're not talking about your shared experiences and just kind of shooting the shit. So I I really do like podcasts, especially kind of video ones because when I've done them on the phone, you know, like you don't even know what the person on the other end looks like. So yes. this is super fun for me. <laughs> Well, we will definitely have fun. We will definitely be shooting the shit today. And I'm, I'm really, really thrilled to have you on to talk about everything you do with your journey in the adult industry and just talking about like a lot of the talk, a lot of the talk will be talking about your journey in porn, but also talking about your journey in directing and being on the other side of the lens because we don't hear about that perspective very often. And I also think it's really, really important to include that because that also is a big contributing factor to the adult industry and to our community as well. So I, I love to pick your brain all about that today. But before we dive right in, I know I was like listing a whole bunch of things of your titles, all the amazing achievements that you have accomplished. Also, by the way, Allison is, uh, has been nominated over and over again for a bunch of AVN awards as well as XBiz, which are really, really big platforms. So, I mean, huge kudos to you. But um, Allison, I wanted to flip it back to you and ask you, like, who who is Allison Ray in, like, your own words and terms? 
Oh gosh, this is one of my least favorite questions of like, who are you? Tell me about yourself. Cause I'm like, how do I compact an entire person into like, you know, a few sentences? I am an activist, never thought I would be an activist. I am an educator of uh, sex positive, uh, sex positivity. I am indeed a content creator, adult performer. I recently started feature dancing, but beyond my work, I am just a person working a job just like anybody else. This just happens to be what I do. It's not who I am. And that is kind of my way of destigmatizing the industry. And I love that we're on like the same wavelength there because I think it's really important that people understand that it is a job um, first and foremost. And it's a job that I love, but it is a job and it is work. I am somebody who has spent many years building up their brand. And I go through ups and downs in my career, just like anybody else. And I would love to say that I'm this like massively successful porn star, you know, ex-biz AVN winner person. But at the end of the day, my imposter syndrome is like off the charts. So I'm like, I'm just the person. I'm like, well, you're out here doing it. But yeah. it's, yeah. it's a, uh, I feel like that kind of sort of wrap, wraps me up. Mm, okay. Hi. No, <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Like, and I love that too because, like, it's it's such a humanizing like the way that you were speaking about yourself. It's such a humanizing way to speak about yourself because, yeah, at the end of the day, we are. It's just another job, and that's like the whole reason I want to do the show is to show, like, hey, this is just a profession that, like, hey, I, I actually really like doing it. This is what I like to do. This is what I choose and consent to do. Um, and it doesn't have to be this whole like taboo thing that's like super stigmatized. It's just a job like anything else. So I think that's super important for you to mention. And also I'm, I'm curious about this whole imposter syndrome because a lot of the times as sex workers, myself included, I suffer from like myself and also like a lot of other sex workers I know, we suffer from imposter syndrome and not I don't know, not feeling ever good enough or just like not fitting the bill or whatever. Like, what is that for you? Well, for me, I think that I often look at myself as not as successful as I could be or should be. And I don't think that that is exclusive to sex workers. I think a lot of people in our world, no matter what you do for a living, experience imposter syndrome on some level of feeling not good enough. You know, I am guilty of it, of comparing myself to my, my fellow co-stars, if you will. And I see these girls that are just making massive amounts of money and they have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. And, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, why can't I be that? And then I also look at the other side of it of like, well, there's all, all these sex workers who have you know, they're lucky if they make a hundred dollars a month on OnlyFans and I'm making thousands. And the way that I've been measuring my success is really like the root of the problem here because I, I've been fluctuating a lot in the way that I've been looking at my career, which is kind of why I wanted to refocus back on performing because I was doing so Mm -hmm. many things, uh, behind the scenes. And while I loved doing that, it's a different kind of burnout. And I realized that I was no longer doing something that I loved. Mm. I liked the work. I liked being around the people. I liked being a part of making something special because with our crew, that was really important to us was creating a really quality product. And that was something that was really enjoyable, but there wasn't joy Like I get when I perform, when I get to interact with my fans, when I can actually put all of my energy into the relation, building relationships with my fans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the imposter syndrome for me has been about not being sure whether I am cut out for any one facet of this industry, because it feels like I'm not good enough to be just a director. I'm not good enough to be just a production manager. I'm not good enough just to be a a model. But the, the reality in this industry is you have to 
be a jack of all trades. You have to have your clip store. You have to cam. You have to, you know, do your OnlyFans and whatever other social media things you are doing. You have to market yourself. You have to give that emotional labor to your fans because that is what this job is. Mm -hmm. And I've recently learned that I really do need to stop comparing myself to other people because that's when my imposter syndrome kicks in. When I compare myself to who I was a year ago, that's where I go, oh, wow, this is something to be proud of. I really have grown in my career. I really have made strides where I want to and acknowledging the progress I've made is really important. Mm. What may I ask, like, what was it about yourself, like you in 2021, what was that like or what did that look like? And why was that so important or significant? Could you uh, rephrase that a little bit? I'm not sure I totally understand the uh, – Oh, sorry. Question. Question. Yeah, yeah. Because you were mentioning like, oh, like when I looked at myself last year, like, oh, this is like – this is where I want to be, blah, blah, blah. I was wondering like, what was it about yourself last year in comparison to say this year or in years prior? How do you, how did that differ? No, no problem. So specifically last year, around this same time, I was getting more serious about my OnlyFans and my, just, just all of my platforms in general. But I started slipping towards all of the behind the scenes stuff because kind of, like I, I was talking with Ari about this is that I kind of got stuck in a day job that I never meant to get got I never meant to get stuck in gotcha that's what I'm trying to say yeah <laughs> I hear you and <laughs> unfortunately it I, I, you know, I am just one person and I, I want to be able to do all of the things. I feel like I might have a little bit of ADD, not entirely sure, completely undiagnosed, but I just want to do all of the things, any opportunity that presents itself to me. Like I want to be there. I want to do it. I want to be the best at it. So I get hyper-focused on things really easily. And I think that's what happened with me in this past year, uh, leading up to my wedding, I was taking every money-making opportunity humanly possible to make my dream wedding come true because I knew you need those dollars if you really, really want to have a, you know, a fantastic wedding. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And (laughs) so I took on all of these, you know, projects thinking I could juggle all of them and I just couldn't. So the difference between, well, I think actually, I suppose the difference between April of 21 and April of 22, really not that different. Mm-hmm. However, the it was probably around July, I would say, of last year that I really started focusing in on being a production assistant. And then around October, November, I started production managing. Wow. That's all of my time. And right. I wasn't able to give my fans the, the amount of attention that I wanted to give them and I was like, oh, well, I put in some hours over here. I put in some hours over here. I can do it all. And in the past month or two, it's been coming to terms with, okay, you got to pick one. You can't just be great at everything. Not that I don't do well at what you know many things that I try, but to be great at something, you need to, to master it. And you can't have all of these distractions. And I think it was just coming to the terms with the fact that like, I am not going to be perfect at everything I do and to let go of the things that are no longer serving me. So with the production assistant and the production manager, they served me because I needed to make as much dollars as humanly possible. Now, my OnlyFans was doing good, but not as well as I wanted it to be doing Mm -hmm. uh, when I started doing the PM and the PA stuff. So refocusing back to production or to, I'm sorry, not production to performing was really important to me because I was able to just kind of get back on the track of like the thing that brought me joy and the thing that actually has growth. I don't know that as a production manager, there's any growth potential and the motivation, you know, it, it just, it's a hamster wheel. 
when you're behind the scenes in production. So it's been the growth over the past year of the, the ebb and flow of life and taking on a day job and realizing, wait, but this isn't actually where I want to be spending my precious time and energy. I actually want to be performing. I actually want to bring joy to people's lives. And while I might be able to do that behind the scenes, I don't get the same reward as I do when I get to interact with fans directly and really spend my time with them. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a whole like refocus and just like shifting of priorities, it sounds like too, which is completely allowed. And you should always be able to like change your goals as you go on, you know, which is totally, totally fine. I am so sorry to everyone listening here. I feel like we're going backwards. <laughs> and that was my fault because I was like, let's just like dive right in <laughs> and keep asking you questions. But Allison, do you mind if we start right in the beginning or even like before the beginning in terms of like how you even landed in the adult industry? Like how did you get here? How did you get started? So I got started, I was actually on a swingers website with my ex-boyfriend because we, gosh, I was 18. We'd never swung. I always liked the idea of it, but I was nervous because a lot of swingers like 30, 40 years old and I'm 18 and I was like, I just want somebody that's closer to my age where it's just more comfortable. So we were on a swingers website. We met somebody that was close in age, was going to the same college I was going to. And as we were getting to know each other over the phone, actually, I don't think we ever met in person now that I really think about it. <laughs> um, but we were getting to know each other over the phone. And, you know, the one of the first questions you ask each other is like, what do you do for a living? And she said, well, I'll tell you, but don't freak out. And I was like, do you deal drugs? Like, I don't care what you do. Just tell me. And she's like, well, I do porn. And I was like, cool, tell me about it. And she was a student like I was and was telling me how she'll go out to LA for a week, shoot her ass off, come home and get to focus on her studies for those three weeks. And that sounded fantastic to me. So Mm -hmm. she helped me get an agent. I came out to LA. I did my, it was probably within like a month or two of meeting meeting her online meeting her, <laughs> meeting her. Uh, yeah <laughs> I came out to LA and shot out my first five scenes and I really enjoyed it actually the first one was very nerve-wracking but uh it, it was a good experience overall and then from there it just got easier and more comfortable and when, once I really got to see how the industry works it was something that was like I really like the people that work here I really like what a day on set uh it was like and so i was able to or not able to but like i decided that i really like doing this and i wanted to keep doing it and thus started my career in the adult industry oh my gosh so just like that (laughs) yeah it wasn't this like big seeking out of anything i kind of just i feel like a lot of my friends kind of describe their entry into adult in a very similar way it just kind of falls into your lap sometimes um and that was certainly how it happened for me wow 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 wow! so this happened you're in college you're super young you're 18 you know just figuring things out and you're like okay this is a really cool maybe a career change or just like or a career beginning because like i mean you're 18 like this is super super young um can you tell us about like those first few months maybe on set like those nerves that you had to kind of battle down like when did you finally feel like, okay, I'm starting to get the swing of the things? Like how long in the industry were, were you at at that point? Ooh, that is a really good question that nobody has ever asked me. Oh, the really? Nerves, <laughs> yeah. The nerves are unlike anything you've ever experienced. Like I've gone skydiving and <laughs> the nerves you get going skydiving are nothing in comparison to doing shooting your first porn scene because – when you go skydiving, you know, you're terrified. You are, you're pretty sure you're going to make it, but you don't know. You're jumping out of a freaking plane. And when it's over, it's over. And it takes just a few minutes. When you shoot your first porn scene, you know, like there's so much going through your mind. You know that this is very permanent. It's something that people tell you over and over and over again. And me being 18 years old, I kind of 
took everybody saying like, oh, but you really need to think about it. I was like, watch me do it. It was a very rebel. I was a very rebellious teenager. <laughs> and I, I remember the night before my first porn scene, I literally had cold feet. I could not sleep. I was so nervous. And my my feet, my feet were just cold. I, I can't explain anything other than that of just like the, the anxiety. My feet were cold. I still went through with the scene, obviously. I'm here today. <laughs> but I never understood where the term like, oh, did you get cold feet come from? I'm like, oh, this must be what they're talking about when you have this many nerves about something. Literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because you know it's going to change your life forever. You know you're never going to outlive it, if you will. Um, but it was still something I wanted to do anyway. It was actually very much like skydiving in the sense that I didn't want to let the fear of doing something stop me from trying to do something that I wanted to do. Because even though I got in because she had, you know, introduced me to the idea and, and helped me get an agent and all that, I had actually been looking at uh, a porn website where it said, become a model because it was my favorite website. Oh, yeah. I had drafted an email for them, never sent it. So I didn't actually get into the industry that way. But it was something I was thinking about before. And right. I had kind of dabbled in the sugar baby world for like a minute, yep. you know, like six months <laughs> or so before getting into porn. So, you know, it, it's just like, you know, that you're afraid, you're a little bit afraid, but you still want to try it. So you do it anyway. Totally. So very much like skydiving in that sense. <laughs> yeah. I know that the first time that I really felt comfortable in my skin in this industry was probably like my sixth scene. Okay. It was because I wasn't living in Los Angeles. I was going to school. I came out for my first week. I shot five scenes and they were all very fun. I had a great time. I made some good friends, but I still, I didn't quite understand how the industry worked yet. I didn't understand that I was never going to get information about my shoot more than a day or two prior to the shoot. I didn't understand how production works that way. I was asking my agent, I was like, I want to know what the storyline is. I want to make sure that it's something that I want to do. And after, actually after that week, my agent let me go and was like, I just think you need somebody that can pay more attention to you. Uh, what it, he was like, you ask a lot of questions, which I find disturbing that an agent yeah. would say that to a girl. I'm like, I just want to know yeah. what I'm doing. Um, so these are things that we're working on in the industry. And it, this has changed a lot, thankfully. Okay. Um, yeah. Since, you know, this was seven and a half years ago. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to know what I was doing and getting myself into before I showed up on set and felt pressured into doing something I didn't want to do. Right. Um, which has happened, you know, but again this is getting better. This is something that has been improving in the industry, especially over the last, I'd say three-ish years. Good. Um, yeah. 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 My God. Very good. I am really glad that that is the way things are going. Um, but it was probably like my sixth scene because I went home after that first week. I want to say there was two months in between my first trip to LA and my second trip to LA. My second trip to LA was, uh, three scenes in three days. And my first scene was for Amateur Allure. And it was a company that I really wanted to work for. I'd started getting active on Twitter. My first scenes had come out. I had hit up this director because I really liked the look of their stuff. I liked that it didn't seem seedy or anything like that. And I just hit it off with the director. And so he booked me uh, to come out and that was the first time I actually spent time offset with people and I got to see how the people in my industry are also just people and they're very like-minded to me. And so after that was when I was like, okay, I really do. I really do like doing this. I like that I can go work for a couple of days, a week, whatever, go home, live off that money, focus on my studies 
and it just kind of snowballed from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, Allison, I have so many questions <laughs> from a number of things that you said here. So um, talking about seediness and talking about shadiness in the industry, it, I feel like it's like a hush-hush thing that like no one really wants to highlight or say. And I think it's really important to be transparent about these things too. So, And like also just being maybe groomed into things or being forced into scenes that you don't want to do. And I think it was really forthcoming of you and also really mature – of you, especially at that like ripe age of 18, to be asking questions. Because a lot of people, you know, like I'm just going to go along and go with the flow and I'm just going to put all my trust in this person that you essentially don't even know, right? So I'm curious um, a couple things here. So at 18, um, one, do you think 18 is an appropriate age for people to be going into the industry? Your own opinion, of course. And also like two, like if you want to share some CD stories or like just like maybe shine light on that aspect because it is something that happens in the industry that again, as I said, no one really talks about. Yeah. So I have been really torn on this uh, debate of is, should we raise the age from 18 to another age? I really dislike that 18 year olds are allowed to go into the military and risk their lives for our country, and yet they can't have a beer with yeah. their platoon members, or I think that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, similar like um, I feel similarly to having sex on camera. Um, I do think it's hard because we, we, we've learned that the brain doesn't fully develop until 25. I think rather than changing the age, we should be implementing some sort of course, if you will, uh, to enter the industry. Anybody with a internet connection and a camera and a decent body, I shouldn't even say that because that depends, like that it's literally, there's, there's porn for every single body, body out there. Yeah. Um, I guess what I mean by that is if you are relatively attractive, just average and above, because yeah, the bar you're is somebody's perfect type. Um, <laughs> if you have those three things, you can get an agent in the porn industry. You can post your own uh, videos on any platform, clip site, Pornhub, what have you, and start making your career that way. And it doesn't require any prior knowledge of the industry. It doesn't require that you fully understand the consequences of your decisions. Because when everyone said, oh, porn will follow you forever, I was thinking about jobs. What I wasn't thinking about was how am I going to tell my kids? Mm-hmm. And yep. even if it is, if you if you have a plan for how you're going to tell your children that you did porn, how are you going to handle having your kids have friends who aren't allowed to have sleepovers at your house because their parents aren't okay with the fact that their kids, friends, parents did porn. Even if I am the nicest individual in the world, there will be people that will judge me for that forever. And there isn't, you know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty, And when you're young, you don't want to listen to anybody. You think you know the best. So I don't even know if this would work, but I feel like there has to be some sort of prerequisite to getting in this industry. You can't just say, I'm hot. I want to have sex right. on camera for money and be able to do it because it is a life-changing decision. Just like mm-hmm. having a baby. Like, I feel like it's just as big of a decision as having a baby and yeah. nobody talks about it that way. Um, yeah, that's huge. So that's really huge. While 18-year-olds and younger can have babies, 18-year-olds should be able to have sex on camera. Some 18-year-olds are actually fairly well-equipped to be parents. Some 18-year-olds are not. So while I don't think we should raise the age because I think that'd be hypocritical of me to say because it did help me make a living while I was in school and it helped me graduate school without having to compromise my study time. Uh, I just wish that there had been a bigger barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. Or like better regulated maybe, or like maybe we don't want to add regulation because that's another tricky topic too. Yeah. Regulate, right. It's, it's hard. I just think that agents, I think agents have a responsibility to make sure that the people that they are representing are of sound mind to get into this industry. Because I think all too often we see girls that are on Xanax, um, that can't perform without marijuana and don't get me wrong. If you have a mental illness and you are taking it as a prescription drug, I have no problem with that. Even if you are taking medical marijuana, don't get, don't get me wrong either. Like I love a recreational marijuana. However, <laughs> right. there are people that are, are not equipped to make those kinds of life-changing decisions. And while I don't want to regulate anybody else's body, I know how I have been struggling with the thoughts of, well, should I even have children? Because I don't want to subject another human being to this kind of stigma because I would love to have children with my husband, but the conversation goes deeper because of my profession. And yeah, it's just, it's so complicated. Um, yeah. And it sucks to say like the agents should have the responsibility to do this because well the agents are just people trying to make money also. This is also yeah. just their job <laughs> and they need models to you know send to companies to get their paychecks. Um so it, it's a really convoluted hard to answer question. I don't know that there is a one size fits all answer to it. Um I wonder <laughs> I I just feel like well, you know what the answer is? Is destigmatization across the board. Because then I wouldn't have to have to worry about whether or not I should have kids. Because if everyone just understood that it was a job, that sex is the most natural thing that a human can do. And so what if I have money for it? Like all labor under capitalism is coercive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if I clean toilets. It doesn't matter if I am doing emotional labor for people at a retail job. You would not do it if you weren't making a paycheck. So people devaluing sex work as lesser than because of the task involved and because we're making money from it, like they just, they put moral weight on something that doesn't need to have any moral um compass attached to it. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great answer too. Cause there is yeah. most sim- so that, that's the answer is destigmatization. So anybody that's listening to this podcast, thank you for doing the work <laughs> and educating yourself. And I think the best way we can destigmatize the in this kind of work is to correct people who make shitty comments about it. I was oh, sitting yeah. in a hot tub with my fiance and his this was back when my husband was my fiance. Uh, I was sitting in a hot tub with him and his, his girlfriends. He's known his entire life and they were having a conversation. They, and by the way, they know exactly what I do and they've always been very nice to me and very cool. But the conversation they were having turned into, Oh, I would love to have an OnlyFans and make easy money selling my pictures, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And, and, and what they said was, but guys don't want to marry those girls. Uh, I've heard this before. I'm sure we and I'm them. sitting there. I'm literally sitting across the hot tub like, hmm. So I'm the engaged one that does this for work and you're single? And <laughs> the guys don't want to marry those girls. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Doesn't make any sense. But okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Whatever. And so. Uh, <laughs> Did you correct them? I didn't. Because, well, that's the thing, right? That's, 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 it's hard. It's so hard to speak up for yourself and to speak up for a stigmatized group of people because people don't want to be the target of ridicule if people don't agree with them. And that's why, you know, this movement of LGBTQIA allies and, you know, the allies of, um, people of color that speak yeah. up for all of these injustices in the world, why it's so important. And um, I think it's the only way that we can actually start to change minds because people need to know that the people around them, they need to know what they believe. Because I think actually more often than not, people do agree with you, mm-hmm. but they're, but everybody is afraid to speak up because they don't oh. want to be alone. 
because yeah. groupthink is so much stronger than, um, you know, a single person's opinion. And you don't want to be, nobody wants to be ostracized. No, exactly. So, There's a lot of that's why it's so Exactly. And so, yeah. So no, I didn't correct them because I was so stunned that it even happened. It's especially yeah, in front hard. Of you. Exactly. It's especially hard when it's literally about you. It's different if like I've, I've heard people say things about like, I have no problem speaking up for, um, let, let, let's say, uh, you know, people of color or, you know, uh, gay relationships or whatever. I don't have that experience. So it's much easier for me to defend somebody because I don't have any personal uh, stake in it, but for somebody to say something about sex work and it feels very personal, it's really hard to speak up about, which is why it's so important to speak up for other people because most people don't want to rock the boat. They are not well equipped to defend themselves. Um, And I think the only way we can stigmatize stuff like sex work is to be transparent about our views on it. Yeah, 100%. We just got to normalize um, this kind of conversation because it is just conversation as, as we said earlier too. Like it's just work, right? So this conversation needs to come up more often and people need to stand up for, you know, for us. And I'm not just talking about like people within our community. We stand together always. Yeah. for mo- I mean, most of the time. Um, not to say that there's we don't have problems within our industry, we do, but um, yeah, I think it's just important for for people to say something and speak up. But uh, gosh, yeah, I, I can really hear the passion in your voice about this, and I love it. I hear I hear this the fire in it. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to go back and kind of like shift gears in terms of like your behind the scenes work with um, production, with assisting, with directing. Um, we were talking about, um, yeah, your work, just, you know, flipping the switch. And you kind of went to see what it was like behind the scenes. And working with agents, working with production companies and stuff, like, are they mostly predominantly male? Like, are the directors mainly male? Because, of course, like, we know porn is arguably for the male gaze. Um I'm curious to see what kind of representation there is behind the scenes and if there are any like female or women-led or even trans-led directors or trans-led or women-led like porn. What does that look like? Because I I don't really hear about it ever. I would dare say these days sets are somewhere between a third and a half women. Oh. Yeah. Uh, In terms of directors, can't say the same for camera people. Um, But there, it is becoming so much more normal for women to be directing porn. Awesome. Especially with the onset of companies allowing, allowing, um, supporting Mm -hmm. female performers turned directors particularly adult time. Adult time has been so wonderful and they have really made big strides in being the the change they want to see in the adult industry. They have several female directors, um, several female production managers, such as myself. They uh, really encourage uh, performers to direct. They have their entire model time series. They not only like, are they, um, pro equality for women. They also tackle really big subjects with their transgressive films. So they will, one script stood out to me in particular where the the premise was that there was a married man and he got a hall pass from his wife (laughs) only with trans women because she wasn't afraid of him leaving her for a trans woman. And so when he brought this up to the the character in the scene, she talks about how problematic it is because why why would his wife assume that he couldn't leave her for a trans woman because trans women are women like anybody else. And so they'll tackle these like really complicated complex and just really deep 
subjects within their scenes. And I think it's so cool for a company to be doing this. And they're doing this across the board uh, with trans scenes, bi scenes, gay scenes, uh, things for people of color. Like it's, they're awesome to work with. I absolutely love working with them. Uh, And, but to get back to the, the, the women led thing, they, they've been very supportive that way. I, you know, I can really only speak from my personal experience on set. Uh, but it's, it's been like on the sets that I've worked on, it's like 50% women. I work for mind control theater. So I am the AD for them and their production assistant and makeup artist, of course, are female. And then they have a camera guy, a director, and a lighting guy, and they are all male. So it's a 50-50 makeup for men and women on set. And what I absolutely love about that is that is not what it was like seven and a half years ago when I got into this industry. We have seen a massive change, I think, especially with the Me Too movement. I was just going to say. I think companies are so much more open to having female directors because companies don't want the bad PR for when CD things happen on set because they do. Yes. Um, Yes. And not that women can't do inappropriate things on set, but – I do feel like it is less prevalent now with the rise of more female directors. That is awesome. And again, like the shock in my face that you can see. And for those who who at home, you'll probably be like, oh my God, your jaw has dropped. But that was surprising to me. (laughs) That's like so progressive and so like, so good to hear because I just did not expect that at all. Those kind of stats. I mean, specifically with your your own experience, your firsthand experience. with women and like trans and like whatever, whatever gender, um, but not men. I'm, I'm not referring to men led filmed here um, or content. Um, are you finding that the scenes are also looking different as well as opposed to just some kind of, I don't know, sometimes I, I find porn to be cheesy, <laughs> you know, like. So here's what I, I've always said about cheesy porn is, and you might not even know this. That in order for porn to be legal and not to be considered, I mean, like, okay, I shouldn't say legal, but in order to protect yourself from obscenity laws, mm-hmm. which um, basically for anybody who is listening that doesn't know, uh, it's production that doesn't appeal solely to the prurient interest, which basically means like it's not just to titillate, to arouse, to turn on somebody. Mm-hmm. To avoid obscenity laws, you have to have kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. Right. And that is why there are really cheesy storylines because they don't intend for anybody to watch them, but they make it legal and they protect them from lawsuits of obscenity so they can keep making money and they're not threatened to get it pulled down. And also half the time when it's cheesy, it's also because we think it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's funny. the way that we can put joy into our work because – we get to giggle and have a good time on set while we're making this. When we know it's ridiculous. I think that's the thing that people get wrong is they think that we're making it very seriously. And it's like, mm. we're kind of doing it as a joke because we also understand, especially when it comes to um, porn that blurs consent lines. While yes, I do agree it is problematic. It is not our job to educate people that it is not real. However, right. I do think it is important because nobody else is educating people, which is why I have started to do it on my TikTok account. Yes. Um, but when you see like the, oh, I can't pay for my plumber. Is there any other way? I can, you know, that kind of storyline where consent is blurred because there's, you know, uh, coercion because there's money to be, you know, you, you get it. So people just think like we're taking it very seriously. Like we we know that that is the most unrealistic yes interaction on the planet. But it's still fun to think about because how many times have you, I don't know, been to a grocery store and there was like a hot cashier ringing up your stuff and like you would love to flirt with him, but you don't even say anything because right. you're nervous because you're a human being. But at the same time, like it's kind of fun to think about like what if you like – you were you you just said some kind of pickup line and it worked. 
<laughs> that is why cheesy porn exists is because like weird it's the fantasy of could I just say I want to have sex with you right now and it work in reality yeah. no it's not gonna fucking work <laughs> but it's fun to think about and it's fun to get off to right um to your question on have I seen porn change uh because of women I don't think so mm. um because Men are primarily the paying consumers for most companies. There is a disproportionate amount of male gaze um, produced porn because that is who is paying for it. Yeah. If more women paid for porn, I think we would see more things that women would like. Yeah, um, that's a conversation. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, we're making a product for a company that is selling it to a consumer. And just like the agents who they should, the onus of responsibility on making sure that there are sane people in the industry uh, should be on them. They're also just people making a paycheck. It's the same thing for women, for female directors. They are also just people trying to make a paycheck and they want to give the company a product that the company wants that will sell for them because they need to pay bills just like everybody else. Right. Right. This gives me so much insight that I did not know. And this is <laughs> glad to have you on the show to talk about this. Happy to help. <laughs> keeping it real. Allison's always keeping it real. <laughs> Well, I mean, on that note, like in terms of like trends or like if we're seeing like changes and stuff too with progressiveness, like what are your thoughts on ethical porn? Because that's like trendy too. You know, I keep hearing that Mm -hmm. term and I'm like, do we even know what it means? Has there actually (laughs) been a definition of it? Because I feel like what people consider to be ethical porn is also like uh, porn for women which is is what exactly because I don't know that that what I am normally producing is unethical what is what is unethical is the fact that we don't teach our kids that are 11 years old starting to watch porn starting to masturbate because I'm sorry they're doing it they're hitting puberty that's just what happens and anybody that wants to pretend that people under 18 don't have sexual urges are absolutely delusional and we should be talking about it and people are like well I don't want teachers teaching my kids about whatever like I want to be the one to do it then do it nobody's stopping you but if you're not doing it and these kids are seeing porn and they think that that is what sex is like and they think that it's not a fantasy and Mm -hmm. that it's actually reality like that is what is unethical right they need to understand that while you don't see the consent conversation happening on like in the final product because that would ruin the fantasy for some people yeah yeah that's not what people are paying for um the consent discussion is happening behind the scenes and you do see it a lot there's so many behind the scenes of consent conversations um so my my opinion on the like ethical porn uh movement if you will is that it's bullshit it's Mm -hmm. bullshit they're not doing anything different we're having the same consent conversation or, you know, I, I would say it's no different today than a normal set. Can't necessarily the same thing of seven and a half years ago because there were websites up and experience that, experiences that I had had that were not so super ethical. But in today's world, in today's social climate, no company wants to get sued over a consent issue, over you know, pressure, well, I guess that's all consent, pressuring somebody to do something they don't want to do. Um, As a production manager, I let girls know exactly the scene they would be doing, exactly the sex acts that they would be expected to do on set at the time of booking. Good. Because that is something that what didn't happen before. People would just say, are you available on this date for this much money for this kind of scene for this company? And that was it. They didn't say, what's the premise of the scene? are there any specific sex acts you're going to be expected to do? And so I had the opportunity to also be the change I wanted to see. Yay. So 
I don't know if that fully answered your question. No, yes, it did. The ethical porn thing, I think, is is bullshit, and it's just a way to make people feel better about the porn that they're consuming, but it doesn't actually address the actual issue of whether or not the people having the sex on camera are having consent conversations. And I don't know, is does ethical ethical porn, like do they show the consent conversation beforehand? Like I don't even know because I've never watched it. <laughs> so who's paying for it? That's the thing. It doesn't necessarily um, speak to people who are paying for the product. I think it does speak to women because women, women also understand that, yes, we can be put in compromising situations, especially when there's sexual energy exchange involved. So they want to subscribe to ethical porn outlets because they want to know that those women are safe, that they're protected, that they're having consensual sex. But the fact of the matter is for any large, like really big adult time browsers, reality kings, any super big platform I would call it ethical porn because th- there are certain regulations that you have to have. The agents are protecting their models. The girls are well-paid. They know why they're there. Um, I-, I-, I think the-, the-, the primary difference, if ethical porn shows the consent conversation being had, you can find the consent conversation for these big companies. They're just in a different section. Yeah. Oh, this is This has been so enlightening and just like, Thank you for sharing that perspective because I don't know, like uh, I think maybe people that are consumers of ethical porn, maybe they're just trying to make themselves feel better. And it's almost to me like a white knight syndrome. Like I need to save these girls. This is what I'm, 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 I feel good because I know that the woman performer is being safe, quote unquote. Right. So that's kind of like how I'm kind of seeing it as well so this has been like so eye-opening because <laughs> yeah I, I would definitely agree that there's kind of a white knight syndrome happening with that and you know again like maybe I'm talking about because I've never seen ethical porn but like from, I'm like I I don't know how much of what I produce is unethical either oh husband's coming through <laughs> oh. <laughs> all good um we are almost going to be wrapping up here, but I like, I'm also really interested in hearing um, because like you are being that change now in the industry compared to, again, like when you first started um, being and providing the support and the resources for these new models and for these new performers coming into the industry. I think that is totally amazing and to be applauded. So well done to you. Huge, huge work that you're doing. But I know you also use your TikTok as like a platform to kind of um, I don't want to say preach, but educate. Yeah. It humanize. Yes. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. I dispel all of the thing, the, the myths, the movie magic, all of the stuff that the industry doesn't want you to know about, quite mm-hmm. frankly, because <laughs> it ruins the fantasy. That was something that people have always told me throughout my career is, well, you don't want to tell them that we do this, this, and that, that that sometimes we shoot a bunch of content in a day because, like, you want to keep the fantasy alive. And I'm like, that is the part that seems unethical to me. Mm-hmm. Because how are we so- – and, and then the same people will preach, sex work is real work. And I'm like, how are you supposed to get the same person that consumes it, assuming that your love for them is real on OnlyFans – uh, how are you supposed to get them to understand that it's real work if you won't be real with them? Mm-hmm. If you'll keep the smoke screen up, right? Um, so my TikTok is about talent. Like I tell people how we use Cetaphil to make it look like cum for photos. I tell them <laughs> how squirting scenes work. Girls will literally chug Pedialyte and water all day so that they can piss during their scene because. <laughs> If a girl squirts, it doesn't look like that. It is a camera yeah. trick. And it's the way that we can do water sports because Visa and MasterCard does not want you to pay yes. for urine for whatever reason. They've decided that's not okay. So if we call it squirting, it's fine. Yes. Um, oh, my God. I talk about how all guys love to ask, how do the guys last so long? Mm-hmm. Um, they take pills. 
They just do. Yes. Um, huge they're problem. no longer enchanted by these, you know, beautiful women because some of them are bitches to them on set sometimes. So people are allowed to have bad days. And like, I'm sure you don't love all of your coworkers on every single day. I'm sure there's people that you just don't get along with. Exactly. And bringing those things to light has been more important to me in the past year and a half or so than in the past. And I've found that I have found so many more loyal fans because they're like, wow, thank you for like not treating us like dumb babies. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and actually like being real because um, I think it's disrespectful to Mm -hmm. think that we can dupe somebody. Like why can't they understand how the movie is made and enjoy it in the same way that you understand that I don't watch superhero movies or the act like whatever actors are superheroes Clark Kent the actor playing Clark Kent you don't think he can fly in real life you understand he's just some guy and that his acting's his job but you still like the movie yeah you'll still yeah. go and pay to watch the movie and maybe or like Ryan Reynolds is actually probably a better example I'm like <laughs> I understand that Ryan Reynolds is he's just a hot guy that I would let and I would like to see his work so I go and I pay to sit down at a movie and and watch his stuff because I enjoy myself because it's part of my leisure time, just the way people enjoy themselves as leisure time jerking off to porn. <laughs> and you like the person and you want to support their career. And there's nothing wrong with that. Definitely nothing wrong with that. Like, I, I think it's really cool. Like your TikTok's almost like a director's cut mm-hmm. <laughs> behind the scenes, right? So I think yeah. that's really, really cool. Like has a response been – like what has the response been like? It's been like a lot of thank yous. Like thank. Oh yeah, it's been really, it's been really positive. Uh, I actually have had to move away a little bit from talking about the industry on my Allison Ray account because I was getting so many community guidelines violations because TikTok mm. is so anti-sex mm. anything. Yes. Um. So I when I gained all my followers, I was like, I don't want to lose this entire account. So I really tamed it down and I actually started. Um, showing more about my life and who I am as a person. However, I started running adult times TikTok where we are perfectly fine if they delete our account over and over and over again. And I just keep posting and making new accounts. Um, (laughs) So previously when I was doing it on my account and currently on adult times account, I get so many people that literally thank me for um, being transparent and they talk about like how, what the positive things that the account is doing. And people have told me so many times how they view the industry different now because of what I've put out there. And it makes, it makes it all worth it. Some days I'm like, uh, am I, you know, I think we all question ourselves and the directions our careers are going and, our lives and things. And I constantly question, like, did I do the wrong thing? Did I shatter the fantasy too much? And like, now nobody wants to jerk off to me. Cause like, I'm like their little sister or something, <laughs> you know, they feel too close to me. They can't objectify me anymore, but it's the people that really understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and appreciate it. That are, they re- really reassure me that I've done the right thing. And I think even if, I'm not making money because people aren't objectifying me anymore. At least I am destigmatizing the work for the people after me. Yes. Oh, that is so, that makes me feel so good. (laughs) Hey, we need more people like you in the industry. This is amazing. And like such a great conversation. I want to, I know we have just a couple minutes left here. Uh, There are a couple questions that came in from the fans. Um, If we can quickly go into that because I value your time. I'll keep it short. Sorry. I do ramble. (laughs) No, not at all. I've just been loving your answers and I've just like been like digging even deeper. So I hope you didn't mind, but we're going to go a little bit over time here. But question one is, what are your favorite scenes to shoot? I really enjoy features. I love having something that, like, again, we were talking about how scenes can be cheesy. I love, you know, an overarching movie plot that ties all of the characters together that requires more care and attention than a snappy Gonzo scene. I've I've never really shot Gonzo scenes. I've always been, like, a feature girl, um, just acting-based stuff. And I just, I just think they're fun because people actually, people care about them more. I really appreciate 
the detail that gets put into them. I've always been a detail oriented person. Um, and so I, I prefer feature based scenes. And I actually just shot a feature for Girls Way. Um, it's called Women's World. And since this will be only available, you know, I feel like I probably won't get in trouble for talking about it. The premise <laughs> is that uh, a few different characters have made a wish that, um, you know, being lesbian was more accepted that uh, her stepson would start behaving differently or better or whatever. And then magically, and all of these wishes kind of happen at the same time. Okay. And so magically overnight, all of the men in the world turn into women. <laughs> follow all of these characters through, you know, the, the day before and the day of everybody turning into women. And uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. And it was a really unique storyline to get to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I believe they are estimating that to come out. Well, I know that they, they were delayed in production. So I, I think they were aiming for July. It might be more like late mm -hmm. August, September now. Awesome. Uh, so it'll be a little while before it comes out. But it was so fun to work on. Um, <laughs> the concept was just like so sci-fi and just yeah. fun. Um, and it, it was really, really cool to work on something, um, so unique. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like a blast. So everyone will have to stay tuned on that for sure. Whenever it comes out this summer, um, we have one more question here, which is kind of like a two part question, but do you think the porn industry is threatened with the onslaught of fan subscription sites or is it a sustainable market? Oh, that is a complicated question. Yeah, um, it is a complicated question. I think I think there are two different client bases for it. Yeah, um, totally. Especially, I noticed that a lot of subscription, like big companies, subscription-based sites are patron patronized, patroned by uh, – older individuals that really grew up with like DVDs and Playboy magazines, etc. So they really love the like big production, yes. polished look 100%. stuff. Yeah. Especially and that's the other thing. I do think that there is like you know, I like smaller group of uh young millennials, Gen Z who do like the polished look, kind of get, you know, like the I guess Barbie doll look, if you yeah. will, like yeah, the yeah. traditional porn star. Right. Um, though, you know, like Vic, there's a reason Vixen got really, really big um, because it was, it was like supermodels, but porn. Right. People love that really, really polished look. It's very Instagrammable. It's very trendy. Um, it just looks well done. And so I think people are really drawn to that and they're always going to be drawn to that. And yeah. you're not going to be able to get that with an amateur platform like OnlyFans or Just for Fans or Ninth Cloud or whatever is out there. Um, however, I think people are getting so sick of curated content that they want those um, realistic connections with people that you get on things like OnlyFans. Also, especially young people, because we grew up on our phones. We grew yeah. up on social media and most of us don't have the skills to connect with people in real life. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people want to have a connection with somebody and they also want somebody that is realistic for them. That's in their league, that's attainable. And that's where you get that girl next door yes. um, where, you know, you know, I don't have like a supermodel's body, but I do have some dedicated fans who, you know, really do connect with me and uh, genuinely in, enjoy my body exactly as it is because it's more real and they're looking for that deeper connection that you don't get with a movie star. Um, and so I, I think that's the, I think it's just two different markets. So I don't think the industry is threatened by it. I just think it's a different consumer base. Oh, absolutely. That's, a, yeah, that's very, very on point, I would definitely say. Because, like, with OnlyFans and stuff like that, like, subscription sites, like, they really want to get to know you and they want to be able to get, like, that access. And as you mentioned, like, we grew up on our phones. We're so used to sharing everything. And they just kind of want to be connected in that way. 
but as you, as you mentioned, yeah, there's always going to be the the consumer that is going to want that like full production kind of shot and that kind of experience because it's different. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, Allison. Like you've just impressed me so much. I think you're an amazing individual and so cool (laughs) and a pillar in this industry. So I want everyone listening to get to know you and maybe follow you. So where can we find you? I am on Twitter, Allison Ray XXX. Although TikTok is my favorite platform now, I am Allison Ray X. Uh, you can go to my website where all of my links are just to make it easy for you, alisonrayfans.com. And if you want to hop right over to my OnlyFans, you don't even want to go through my website. It's alisonrayxo. There's so many different X. Ex- TikTok wouldn't let me have three Xs. Mm. I had to change my OnlyFans at one point when I was like revamping it. That's why there's so many different usernames. And I apologize, but <laughs> make it easy. You can find them all on alisonrayfans.com. Perfect. And all of those links are in the show notes below. If you haven't clicked already, are you freaking crazy? Go ahead, click, give her a follow. She would love that. And if you want to say hi, that's like, those are the places to reach her. So um, everyone else listening at home, it's stripped by Sia on all podcast platforms. If you're on Spotify, I would love if you rated it five stars. um, If you love the show, if you are listening on Apple podcasts, maybe write me a nice little review. I would absolutely, absolutely appreciate that. It helps with discoverability. It helps people find the show. And a lot of people need to find the show because like this shit needs to be said. And also, again, normalizing the conversation about our industry. So if you want to reach out to me directly, it's Strip by Sia on Twitter, on Instagram. And if you want to help the show, again, it's patreon.com slash Strip by Sia. And that is it for this week's episode catch you all in for another episode next sunday thanks allison thank you you're listening to stripped by sia hosted produced and edited by steph sia music by ted d Graphic design by Maria Bellandarama and photography by Ian Davern.